Don't pay retail for your diamond engagement ring or gift. Come to CleanOrigin.com. Founded by a leading family in the diamond industry for more than a century, we're experts in lab-grown diamonds because that's all we do. Clean Origin, the only diamond jewelers who give you a 100-day, no-questions-asked return on your purchase. Head to CleanOrigin.com or one of our retail stores and mention code RADIO10 for 10% off your purchase. That's CleanOrigin.com, code RADIO10. From June 1st to November 30th, all eyes in the weather world turn to the tropics. The 2023 hurricane season will be the first as the National Hurricane Center director for our next guest. Dr. Mike Brennan is the new director of the National Hurricane Center, a role he began in April of 2023. Mike's tropical weather knowledge and 15 years of experience at the NHC makes him the perfect candidate to lead the Hurricane Center this season and beyond. Mike, welcome to the Weather Geeks podcast. Yeah, thanks, Marshall. Great well, to be yes, with you. It's really great to talk to you as well. Mike's a colleague and that I've known for some time and is really thrilling to me when I saw that he got the job. I said that that was a no brainer is that certainly well prepared for the job. I, I have to start you off. And I know we don't have much time with you because you're gearing up for the Hurricane Center, which is literally weeks away for the hurricane season, I should say. The question I start with every guest, how did you become a weather geek? I think like most people who answer that question, it started off at a pretty early age. Um, I grew up in um, in Roanoke, Virginia, kind of, uh, you know, distinctly in the mid latitudes, you know, four seasons, winter weather, severe weather, you know, remnants of hurricanes, uh, pretty flash flood prone area. So I always had an interest in weather from an early age. Um, my grandmother lost her home in the, uh, in the 1985 November flood of record in the Roanoke Valley. Uh, that was actually due to the remnants of Hurricane Juan that made landfall along the Gulf Coast. So that was eight when that happened. It was a pretty impressionable age. So I think I've just always been interested in it and, uh, you know, sort of stuck with me all the way through this, uh, this career path. And I want to give you a little bit of uh, Mike's background. He's the current director of the National Hurricane Center, as, as I mentioned, since April. Uh, he was the branch chief of the Hurricane Specialist Unit from 2018 to 2023 and senior hurricane specialist before that. He's also been the science and operations officer at the Weather Prediction Center. He has a bachelor in meteorology from North Carolina State University and a master's and Ph.D. in atmospheric sciences from North Carolina State as well. So someone that's well positioned within the National Hurricane Center knows knows the ropes and has been around. Um, reflect on how those jobs that I just mentioned prepared you for this moment as director of the National Hurricane Center. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you can go all the way back to just having the solid educational foundation that I got, you know, in, in my undergraduate and graduate career. I was always very interested in operational applied research and applied meteorology. So that sort of naturally led me into a career path in NOAA and the National Weather Service. And um, my first job in the Weather Service was as the science officer at WPC, which has this huge scope of responsibility, everything from backing up the hurricane center to, to rainfall forecasting, to winter weather, to medium range, large scale forecasting. So it's kind of a huge, broad overview of everything involved in, in, uh, in, in operational meteorology. And then, you know, 10, eight or nine years as a senior hurricane specialist, certainly got to know the ropes and you know, forecasted some pretty impactful storms. 
Uh, and then, you know, the branch chief role sort of is a management type position, but you sort of have this overall oversight of the entire hurricane operation. So um, I was actually acting in that role for most of the 2017 season and then permanently got the job in 2018 and had a pretty, pretty, pretty busy tenure in that role. You have multiple U.S. hurricane landfalls, major hurricane landfalls, really impactful storms. So I think the experience I gained there in that role sort of managing operations, doing a lot of uh, impact-based decision support services, briefings, uh, coordinating aircraft reconnaissance, working on things like the Hurricane Forecast Improvement Project, trying to advance operations as well, sort of set the stage for me to move into the, the director position where you're sort of having that even higher level oversight of the whole operation. And, and the, the director of the National Hurricane Center, the National Hurricane Center sits within the National Weather Service, which uh, who's right. directed uh, these days by Ken Graham, your immediate predecessor in that role. Yeah, of course, the National Weather Service is within NOAA. Now, I want to jump right in and sort of geek out, if you will, in terms of the hurricane season, because as we are recording yeah. this podcast, it's uh, second week of May. So we're a couple of weeks from the official start of the Atlantic hurricane season. Uh, what are the preliminary seasonal projections uh, telling us or even do you even pay much attention to those? Well, you know, the, the seasonal forecasts are kind of uh, a double-edged sword. You know, in some ways, they're a great, um, you know, a great tool to just get people aware that, hey, hurricane season's about to start. You know, we have some groups issuing seasonal forecasts starting as early as March or April, and it continues all the way through when NOAA issues its seasonal forecast in late May. Uh, but on the other hand, while we want people to know the hurricane season is about to start, we don't want them using the seasonal forecast as a tool to decide whether they need to prepare for hurricane season or not. Because even if it, the forecast is for an average or below average season overall in the Atlantic Basin, people have to prepare every year as if they're going to be affected, regardless of what the seasonal forecast says. We've had major hurricane landfalls, lots of impactful storms hit the United States in otherwise somewhat less busy uh, hurricane season. So, you know, there's a lot of talk about El Nino coming on in the Pacific and, and you know, in, in all things being equal, that does tend to suppress hurricane activity in the Atlantic. But there are other competing factors. Uh, we know the Atlantic Basin is really warm right now. There are other interseasonal, uh, you know, uh, oscillations that, that play a role in how the season's going to play out. And even if you have an overall you know, less favorable pattern, you can still have pockets of space and time where storms can go on and strengthen and find ways to develop and become very impactful. So you can't write off a whole season based on what the seasonal forecast says. You know, think back to 2022, we had a really quiet start to the hurricane season. Everybody started asking lots of questions when August would basically went by without any activity. And then things got really busy. We had Ian in September. We had a hurricane landfall in Florida all the way in November. So uh, the season is a six month, uh, you know, six month process, five or six month process that we have to, to see all the way through. And, and speaking of Ian, because I wanted to ask you about that. I mean, there was a lot of discussion about Ian. I thought it was a well forecasted storm. I mean, certainly there were some challenges with it, but there have been sort of analyses showing that the. Uh, the, the cone really captured much of the sort of area of, of landfall for most of the time over that five day window. But yet we know there's still challenges in communicating risk from things like the cone. People don't necessarily yeah. understand it. Um, we, we've also heard a lot of discussion in recent years about uh, whether the Saffir Simpson scale, which is a wind scale, uh, captures the full scope of the impacts because we know that the impacts aren't just that line down the center of the cone, if you will. So right, talk right. about both of those instances and how you plan to sort of deal with these discussions moving forward. 
Yeah, communication is is the biggest challenge I think we have. You know, we've seen forecasts improve. Track forecasts have been steadily improving over the last 30 or 40 years. We've really started to see some improvements in intensity forecasting in the last 10 to 15 years uh, for the first time. And for the most part, the forecasts are good enough now to give people adequate warning of the various hazards that are going to come their way. If you look at the coast of Florida, the west coast of Florida had storm surge watches and warnings in place well in advance of the arrival of Ian, well outside the cone, because given the, the extreme sensitivity of the west coast of Florida to storm surge, a huge area to the right uh, to the right of the center of Ian's of track of Ian's center was going to be uh, you know exposed to life threatening inundation. So we really need to push people towards those hazard products. It's not the track or the intensity of a storm that that kills people. It's generally the water hazards. Storm surge has the potential to kill the biggest number of people in a given day in a hurricane in this country. Still, like we unfortunately saw in Ian, but freshwater flooding is sort of an underrated hazard and it's killed more people in this country than any other hazard in hurricanes in the last ten years. Um, there is a lot of focus on the wind. You know, wind is still how we classify storms. Uh, over the ocean, the wind is a huge uh, you know, threat to mariners. It's what drives wave generation and uh, all the marine hazards. So we classify storms by their wind you know, in terms of tropical storm or hurricane or various categories. But that's only one small piece of the puzzle. And also the cone is like the cover of a book. It's a sort of a high level look at sort of where the center of the tropical storm or hurricane is likely to go over the next few days. But that's basically all it is. You have to dig in deeper, know your risk of the various hazards, pay really close attention to those watches and warnings. And I think, you know, one thing I really want to try to emphasize this year is just how dire the storm surge warning is. It is the loudest bell that we can ring for the deadliest hazard for a from a tropical storm and hurricane. And it's the one that drives most evacuation decisions, as we've seen has historically had the potential to kill the most people. So, and that, that product's still relatively new. It's been around since 2017. But if you find yourself in an area under a storm surge watcher warning, that should be an alarm bell going off that you should be ready to evacuate your home if you're asked to do so by your local officials. Speaking with Dr. Mike Brennan, the director of the National Hurricane Center and the new director as of April 2023. One of the things that I've in just recent studies and some things I've been doing uh, with some various national academies and so forth, we've been sort of thinking about this notion that people sort of anchor to storms they've experienced in the past. They were like, wow, it can't be much worse than Sandy or Michael or Harvey. And so I survived that. Um, what do you say the people that maybe have this notion of what I often call normalcy bias or optimism bias in terms of because uh, the messaging is there uh, again, yeah. you, you noted this even with Ian, as tragic as it was, there were storm surge warnings for for fatal and deadly potential storm surges out well ahead of landfall. And yet people said, I survived Charlie or I went to Charlie. Can't, can't see anything worse than that. Uh, how do you how do you deal with that kind of narrative that's out there? Yeah, it's a real challenge because not only is it, you know, people's experience of, of, of a past storm, it, but it's almost it's almost basically like what happened at their house, like under their feet. You know, that's what people tend to remember. You know, we see pictures of devastation. Uh, from Ian or Michael or these other hurricanes. But if, if it doesn't happen to you, it sort of can just kind of pass through. And then the next time a storm comes around, you don't really picture that. These very extreme high end impact events are things that people may not, you know, most people won't ever see in their lifetime. And they may only, and if they do, it's probably only going to happen once where you live in, in terms of that extreme level of destruction that you saw, say, along Fort Myers Beach from, from Ian. Um, I think it's you know, part of it is how can we help people visualize what. 15 feet of storm surge looks like. As meteorologists, 
I know what that means. I know what that's going to do. I can, I can, you know, I know I'm six feet tall. That's two or two and a half times as tall as I am. That's not a survivable event. But to somebody else who doesn't think that way or doesn't have that experience, it can be just kind of like an abstract number. And um, you know, we're working on ways with social scientists to try to you know, provide visualizations of you know what does a community landmark or a city look like if you have 15 feet of inundation in front of some recognizable building, or what is the wave action going to do? So it's it's just a, a, com- a combination of ways you have to try to communicate because everybody makes decisions differently. Everybody processes information differently. Some people are visual. Some people, you know, are audio are going to hear things and be able to see it. Some people want to look at a picture. Um, we just have to try to be in as much of that space as possible. Yeah. Uh, but I think, you know, you don't want to let a prior storm experience result in a fatality during the next storm. You know, the Katrina is a great example. There were people that died in Katrina because they survived Hurricane Camille in 1969. And every storm has a different footprint of the hazards. The hazards are going to be different in a given location because as we saw with Ian and Charlie, they both made landfall in the exact same location with essentially the exact same intensity. But Ian was a much larger storm. And so it moved a lot more water around in terms of storm surge. It had a different wind impact. Charlie was moving a lot faster and brought hurricane force winds all the way across the Florida Peninsula. Ian didn't do that. So every storm is different. And, uh, you know, we're able to try to, to, to drill down to those hazard, uh, the, those individual hazards and provide information about what people should prepare for. But, um, but that's, that's sort of where I'm thinking on that is again, the hazards are going to be different in every storm. Even if you've been affected by a storm where you live before, you likely didn't experience the very worst conditions. Those occur in a five, 10 mile wide area, you know, where you're going to see the, the radius of maximum winds. What area is going to get that category four hurricane force winds? What area is going to get that very worst storm surge? We can't forecast where that's going to happen until we're maybe within six to 12 hours of landfall. Because again, our average track forecast area is 30 to 40 miles a day. That sort of dwarfs the, the area that's going to see those worst impacts. So we have to take that into account when we issue watches and warnings and try to tell people you know, what they're at risk of. When we come back, I want to find out what Dr. Brennan has been up to in his first month or so as director of the National Hurricane Center. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. 
Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and I'm speaking with Dr. Michael Brennan, who is the new director of the National Hurricane Center. I, I wrote an article in Forbes so when you were announced as the director of the National Hurricane Center, and I said this is one of the most high-profile meteorologist positions in the world, and I think you know that. Uh, carries a lot of responsibility, carries a lot of stress, uh, carries a lot of expertise with it as well. So in these first month or two that you've been in the role, what have you been up to? I know you had mentioned something about some awareness tours that you've been doing. Uh, tell us about those. Yeah. So as I came in in April, we we're sort of right in the middle of our outreach and preparedness activities uh, leading up to the 2023 hurricane season. Last week, uh, we were on the hurricane awareness tour. We made four stops along the Gulf Coast with both the NOAA and the Air Force Reserve Hurricane Hunter aircraft. We went to Houston, Texas, New Orleans, Jackson, Mississippi, and Tallahassee, Florida. Basically spent a day at each location. It's a, it's, it's a opportunity for the media to come out learn about hurricane hazards, interview our staff, interview emergency managers, local National Weather Service uh, forecasters, and an opportunity for the public to come out and see the aircraft that gather so much valuable data that we use as part of the hurricane program. And again, it's just a public a public awareness tour that we try to take on every year. This is the first time we've sort of done the full hat, though, since COVID. So it was great to be able to get out and, and make those four stops along the Gulf Coast. Um, right now, I'm at the Florida Governor's Hurricane Conference this week here in Palm Beach, which is a big, huge meeting of emergency managers, the media, uh, meteorologists from National Weather Service, uh, the state of Florida. So this is, you know, there's workshops and training classes. You know, we do a lot of training in the off season of emergency managers, meteorologists from uh, the National Weather Service, but also from our, our partners in the international meteorological community inside of our area of responsibility. So so all that goes on. And it's basically, you know, we're running as fast as we can to fit all this in by the time we get to June one and, and get ready for the season. Yeah, it's a it's quite a bit of a haul, and and again, things are upon us, and it, it it makes me think about the role of the National Hurricane Center as you come in, and you've been there for a while. I mean, we're dealing with more people along the the coastlines. We 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 know that that continues to grow. Uh, anecdotally, it feels like we're dealing with a sort of generation of storms that are rapidly intensifying. I mean, I know the studies are still sort of emerging on that, but you, know, you wake up, uh, go to bed to a cat, two or three, and you wake up to a four, maybe a five. Yeah. So how how do you see the National Hurricane Center evolving in this sort of new world? Well, I think we have to continue to be sort of the clear, calm, trusted voice. You know, we're, in a, we're also in an era where there's more information available than ever before to people through their phone, through television, um, which is good because people can get all the information they need. But it's also challenging because there's so much information out there. It's easy for people to get overwhelmed, especially with social media. Yeah. Correct. And people, you know, we know from social science that if people are hearing mixed messages about a threat, then people are more likely to not do anything and not take action until they hear that consistent message. So, you know, it's our role to be that sort of calm, clear, consistent voice. To, we need to be in that space, in that social media space, working with our partners in the media to get that message out there, to reinforce what they're hearing from their local officials about preparedness act activities. 
you know, so that's that's sort of the communication part. On the forecasting side, you know, we are finally starting to make some progress in being able to forecast some of these rapid intensification events. Some of the forecasts we made for Ian and going back to Ida in 2021 were some of the boldest initial forecasts the Hurricane Center has ever issued for a developing storm. And that's really important because it sets the expectation from the very beginning that say, hey, Ian is going to be a major hurricane that's going to threaten the west coast of Florida right from the very outset. And if you're not doing that, if you can't do that, then people can be taken by surprise because if the forecast changes, all of a sudden, you're now you're going from a category one to a category four expectation, and that's not being forecast. Then, then people's expectations of the hazards start to get out of hand. But you know, if we're able to set that bar initially, and that's not going to be perfect in every case. You know, all of our forecasts are always going to have errors. Even even the good forecast, you can be off forecasting rapid intensification by six or twelve hours, and you can rack up huge errors in terms of your actual intensity forecast. But as long as the message is consistent that, hey, you're going to see a major hurricane. Here are the hazards you can expect. You can get that out there early and continue to hit that message over and over again. Then that'll, that'll be more that, that's something that people will be more responsive to. I think the other thing we need to work towards is getting more uh, real-time uncertainty information into our hazard products. A lot of our products like that, that we look at for you know, storm surge probabilities or wind speed probabilities are based mostly on climatological error statistics from the Hurricane Center's forecast. What we need to move towards in the next few years is bringing real-time uncertainty information from ensembles and blending that in with the historical errors while keeping it consistent with the Hurricane Center forecast, but being more representative of the actual forecast uncertainty of that situation. You know, we, we we are grateful for the time that Dr. Brennan has provided for the podcast today. I know he's actually at a conference as we're recording this, so I, I want to be respectful of his time. So I want to give you the last word. I mean, we, we've got a pretty wide viewership and listenership. Yeah. Um, what's your message to the nation and to the world as you step into your first Atlantic hurricane season? Well, a couple of things. I mean, first, everybody has to prepare Knowing your risk from the hurricane hazards is how you start preparing, especially if you live in a storm surge evacuation zone. That forms the basis of your entire preparedness plan because you may be asked to leave your house in the in the in the face of a storm. You want to know how you're going to where you're going to go, how you're going to get there, what you're going to take with you. You want to figure that all out now before a storm threatens you. And again, know your risk. Make sure you have proper levels of insurance. Know what your what your house is rated for in terms of the wind hazard. Um, don't pay so much attention to the models, you know, and that's something for the larger meteorological community. We love to focus on, oh, the Europeans doing this, the GFS is doing that. We love to set them up in some sort of battle royale between the two of them. But, you know, the Hurricane Center forecast on average is better than any individual model and more consistent. So it's sort of like we're, we're looking at everything and distilling that down to the best, most consistent message we can for everybody to use. And so I'd encourage people to really focus on that and the hazard information that's coming out of the Hurricane Center and the Weather Service offices to really, again, get away from those sort of focus on the details of the track, the category, the intensity. It's the water hazards that kill most people. And the last thing I'll leave you with is that, you know, in the past 10 years, we've lost almost as many people in the United States to fatalities after hurricanes as we do during hurricanes, these so-called indirect deaths that are largely due to accidents, uh, car accidents, cleanup accidents, carbon monoxide poisonings, medical issues, heart attacks. These disproportionately affect older people, mostly men, and largely occur in the aftermath of major hurricane landfalls where you have widespread long duration power outages. And so that's something we're really trying to hit in our messaging is that, you know, we've lost over 400 people to direct fatalities, but we've also lost 400 
and some to indirect fatality. So I'll, I'll leave it leave you with that. Yeah, really important messages. And I really resonate with your point about the models as someone that's around young meteorology students yeah. that just really get enamored with one model versus the other. Um, you all are using all of the information and always come out with what I consider the best forecast and why I've consistently written in my articles in Forbes. Trust the National Hurricane Center first. Exactly. I mean, there's a lot of information out there. Mike, thank you so much for joining us on the Weather Geeks podcast. Thanks, Marshall. Great to have you. Great to now, be before you. we get out of here, got to recognize our Geek of the Week. We like to highlight a scientist, superstar, a great geologist, or a weather weenie at the end of every podcast. This episode's Geek of the Week is Brian Irwin. Brian is a volunteer storm spotter and says he loves all types of weather, but especially when it's cool enough for a sweatshirt. Hey, Brian, let's geek out. Continue to geek out. Hey, Mike, again, thank you for joining us on the, on the podcast. Thanks, Marshall. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and we'll see you next time on Weather Geeks. Weather Geeks.